Hey there, online family. Thanks so much for tuning into the Refuge Official Podcast today. We believe that the message you're about to hear is a powerful one. We believe that the Lord is ready and willing to do a great work. And we believe that through this message, you'll hear from him today. So please enjoy. We have a great opportunity today to have Bruce Bernetta minister. And in this series on um, Waiting on the Promise, uh, we thought about Bruce and uh, extended an invitation for him to come and minister. Uh, Bruce Fanetta and his family, they were actually attending Refuge here for about nine years. Uh, and we uh, had invited him in uh, shortly after he had this accident and this uh, supernatural miracle from God. And it sparked something in this church that I believe was a catalyst to bring a fresh wind of, of God's presence and fire and so we're so grateful to Bruce and his family and, and how they've impacted this church. Um, Lori is a great friend of Deb. Um, and then actually Emily is uh, one of Mackenzie's best friend, our daughter Mackenzie. So we've interacted with this family. We've eaten meals with them. We've shared with them. We've prayed with them. We've labored with them for the work of the gospel. And, and so uh, one of the things that you're going to hear today is a miracle that cannot be disputed. It's been looked at and examined. The History Channel did a documentary trying to disprove the miracle testimony you're about to hear, but they failed to disprove it. Uh, Bruce has appeared on TBN, uh, CBN, um, Daystar, to be able to share his testimony, and it's impacted millions of people around this world. Uh, He's traveled with me to Africa, and uh, we've had opportunities to minister together, and it's just been an exciting uh, blessing just to know him. And, and, and there's something about Bruce. He's authentic, and he's able to communicate truth in a way that people can receive it. Uh, so with, without any further delay, and I could, I could share a whole lot more. I do want to share one verse before he comes up, and it's actually found in 2 Peter 3.9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness but is patient towards you, not wishing that any perish, but that all reach repentance. And I believe repentance and repenting is really changing directions in your life. And my trust today that through this message, through this testimony, that you'll make a change, that you'll turn, maybe from something that's leading in the wrong path to the right path, that your heart would be turned towards Jesus to the ministry that you're about to encounter and experience. So without any further delay, uh, Bruce, come up and uh, minister as God has put in. Thank you, Bruce. Thank you. Appreciate you. Thank you. Well, good morning. I'd just like to start with a prayer, please. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We lift this time up to you, and we pray that your name would be honored, glorified, lifted up. Holy Spirit, we just pray that you would move and minister in our hearts and only in the ways that you can do. And all God's children said, amen. amen. So as Pastor Matt mentioned, I've got a miracle testimony that I'm going to be sharing with you folks this morning. It actually happened November 16th, 16 years ago, a couple weeks. So it's been 16 years since it actually took place. Uh, again, a lot has happened in that time. Doctors make the claim. So I had a semi-truck, big Peterbilt logging truck and that's what I'll be talking about today, but this logging truck, I was underneath it, it was a work-related accident, the wheel was off, I was underneath the front axle, 
the jack slipped out, and the whole weight of the truck fell on my body. So six, uh, you've got five to six tons, so 10 to 12,000 pounds of weight that crushed through the middle of my body and flattened me out. I was thinner than my spine. L4, L5 vertebrae were both broken. I had five places that major arteries were severed. I bled out at the scene of the accident and died. God sent a woman to bring me back to life. He sent angels, um, did a bunch of miraculous things. And doctors make the claim, I don't make this claim, doctors make the claim that I'm the only person they can find in the world, not the United States, but in the entire world, who's lived after having major arteries severed in five places. So because doctors make that claim, uh, it's been a good thing to put in the bio when they say you're the only person in the world. And so, uh, right? I mean, that has garnered a little bit of media attention. And as Pastor mentioned, that's what's got us on over 50-plus television shows and over 100 radio shows and all that. But it's, it's a story of God's mercy and grace. And the first time that I was asked this certain question, so I'm on this international television show, and the host has the bio there, and it's live television. And he says, hey, I see here that there's a claim doctors say you're the only one that's lived after having uh, arteries severed in five places. And he said, why did God save you? I was not prepared for that question. I hadn't thought about that at all, really. And God immediately just dropped on my heart, and we're going to pull the verses up right now. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting at verse 26. So the Lord says, this is the reason. Read this right now. So this is what I was to, this is what I was to answer, is the reason why God saved me. And before we read this, maybe some of you will relate to, to the feelings that Paul's talking about here. Maybe some of you won't, but just listen to this. So Paul says, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you are wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Maybe some of you can relate to that. I can. Not many were of noble birth. Next verse. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world, the despised things, the things that are not, to nullify the things that are. And here's the crux of it, verse 29. So that no one may boast before him, God. So I, I can't stand here this morning or where I was last weekend or the weekend before anywhere, for that matter, and stand up in front of people and say, the reason why God saved me, because I was a good person. That'd be a lie. I can't stand up and say, the reason why God saved me is because I was making the right choices, the right decisions. Again, it'd be a lie. Uh, the only reason why God saved me, and God has made it abundantly clear to me, and uh, the longer I'm alive, he makes it more and more clear to me. The reason why God saved me is verse 29, so that no one may boast for him. And he says he chooses the weak things, the lowly things, the despised things, the things that are not, so that no one may boast. So my testimony today, the, the main point that I want to get across to you today, that if God would do these things for me, then the Bible is absolutely 100% true. He would do them for anybody because I'm the least deserving. Uh, you don't... I know me. You don't, you don't know me. I know me. I'm the least deserving. God's setting the bar low. He's setting the bar low. And he's saying, look, if I help that guy, anybody can be helped. Um, you know, when you go through that, again, like I say, some people can relate to feeling despised, lowly, things that are not, not a noble birth, la, la, you know, that whole list. Some people can totally relate to that. And if you're somebody like me that totally feels that way, can relate to that, the good news is, that Jesus loves us despite that. Jesus loves us despite those things, and we can reach out to him and ask for him to step into our life and his mercy and his grace. Amen? Sometimes people hear this testimony 
about uh, the angels showing up and about the lady praying me back to life and all the things that happened. Sometimes people hear that and they go, oh, you know, he must have been this super religious, super religious guy or came from a super religious background or super religious family or, you know, those type of thoughts. It's, a, it's the same kind of thinking like this. Like if somebody here today would say, well, you know, God forbid anything happened to Pastor Matt, but if something happened to Pastor Matt, somebody would say, oh, you know, he's going to be okay because he's the pastor, he's a good guy, you know, that kind of thinking, right? Like because he's maybe he's a little closer to God because he's the pastor, he's a little closer to God, so he'll be good. Um, that kind of thinking is not biblical. That is not biblical thinking at all. And when God shows that he loves us despite us, and he does good things despite us, there's the real, there's the power in the gospel. There's, there's the real power, that he is a loving God despite us. So, uh, again, uh, I just, not to belabor the point, but I can tell you the family that I came from, uh, you know, there was, it was dysfunctional family, verbal abuse, physical abuse. I was repeatedly sexually abused as a child for over a year. Um, lots and lots of bad things in childhood. I guess enough said. And, made a lot of mistakes, continue to make mistakes, and yet God's mercy and grace. And but dis, despite me, despite things that happened, he sends the angels, he sends the, the lady to pray back to life, he sends the guy to pray in the hospital. God is a God. When we read this, waiting on a promise. So uh, maybe you're here today and you're still waiting on your promise. And I can tell you, you know, sometimes people hear this testimony and go, wow, you know, you must be like... Uh, so close with God now because, listen, yeah, absolutely, man, I am so much closer to God, but I'll be honest right up front and tell you, hey, I still got plenty of issues. I still got things that I'm waiting on and I've been waiting on. And actually, the lady came and showed up and she prayed me back to life at the scene of the accident three times. And God sent the angels. And God sent the guy. And I spent the next year in the hospital and, he, and a miracle happened. But to be honest with you, absolutely 100% honest, and I didn't used to be this honest, but I just to be 100% honest with you, there's things in my life waiting on a promise that are more important than that to me. More important than being prayed back from the dead, more important than the creative miracle that hurt worse, deep emotional things, and I'm still waiting saying, God, hey, what about this? So if you're here today and you're saying, God, hey, what about this or what about that? I am right in the same boat with you, and I'm not going to lie and pretend I'm not because that's still exactly where I'm at. So this, like I said, I grew up in a family. Uh, my parents both believed in God. My, both, my parents both had uh, a lot of bad stuff happen to them growing up in childhood. And so it, you know, uh, it formed, you know, my mother was given away. Uh, she was an illegitimate child, given away, raised by grandma. My dad was the middle child of three. My grandpa didn't think that that was his child. So you have two people that had a lot of baggage. They get married. And uh, that's, we uh, grew up in that family. And my, my parents, I know, loved us. But here's the thing. You can't give away something you don't have. You can't give away something you don't have. And if you weren't loved, if you weren't shown that, it's hard to give that, right? And so, uh, again, growing up and uh, pains and different things going on in my life and, you know, trying to fill the holes and fill in those pains with things that didn't work. So drugs, alcohol, sex, pornography, doesn't matter, fill in the blank tried it over and over and over and over again, I can tell you it doesn't work. It always goes away. It always wears off. It never lasts. None of it. None of it. None of those things ever last. They always go away. And uh, God is there. He's there to help us with our pains. But again, with people that uh, have belt, 
dealt with a lot of pain in life and, and go to other things looking for hoping that there's a, you know, hope out there, that there's something that can help them on the inside. And God continues to reach out to us. But I think a lot of times we don't even know how to receive. I think a lot of times we don't know how to receive what he's offering to us. We don't even know how to even receive that. So God, in his mercy and grace, continued to reach out to me my entire life and uh, continue to, to try and steer me the right direction despite me, despite my rebellion and my hard-heartedness. And again, like I said, I, I grew up with a lot of inside internal pain. And so uh, I tried to medicate that pain at a young age with drugs. And then I had a girlfriend and we started having sex in high school. And I thought, oh, this is the first I've never been, didn't feel loved as a child. So I said, oh, this is the first person that loves me because I could feel that love. And uh, found out, no, she really didn't love me. And we were together six or seven years, going to get married. She cheated on me. Okay, she didn't really love me. And so I thought, okay, I need somebody. God, send me somebody that is going to make me happy. So uh, God sent me my wife. We got married. And I thought, I'm going to make a happy family. I'll make the happy family I didn't have as childhood. But guess what? This broken guy brought all my brokenness into the marriage and into that relationship. So as much as I wanted to make the happy childhood, remake a happy family that I didn't get, I wasn't able to do that because of too much brokenness inside of me that I brought to the table. And so then uh, we started having kids, and I thought, okay, I don't want to be, uh, I, I want to be the good parent, not the drug and alcohol parent that I was. And so I try to, you know, do different things, and hoping, you know, I made my wife promises, oh, I'm going to quit selling drugs, I'm going to quit doing all this. Well, I couldn't keep those promises. I was still too hurt, still broken inside. And, you know, the next thing, and it's, we, we think we've got these things in the world that are going to make us happy. You know, the, I, this is my opinion. I, when you look at the polls, the divorce rate is the same in the church as it is outside of the church. People that are married in church versus people that are married outside of church, divorce rate's the same. You know Why? I, this is just my opinion. I think the reason why is because we believe alive, because I believed it, that the, the right husband or wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, living, whatever you want to call it, is going to complete us, make us whole, make us happy. But if we're broken and we put that pressure on them, they can't do it. They don't have the ability to do that. So then now they're put in a position where they can't make you happy. And so then you look at them, and I, because I know I look at my wife sometimes, and I'll think, oh, as a, we got married in that first year of marriage, that should be, you know, this happier marriage. And I think, I was thinking, yeah, I'm still miserable. There must be something wrong with her. Come on, that's human nature. I'm not the only person that thinks like that. I know it. I'm not the only person that thinks like that. There must be something wrong with her. There must be something wrong with him that I don't feel better, Right? And so, you know, you can just go through the lists of things that we try, and I was going through everything that the world had to offer, and the last thing on my list was money. I believed a lie from a, a kid that if you could make a certain amount of money, and I had a six-figure number in my head, I believe that you could make that six-figure number, ha, you've arrived. You're going to have a fancy car, you're going to have a fancy house, you're going to have nice cars, you know, uh, nice clothes, rather. You're going to get to go on exotic vacations, do whatever you want, you know, like that. Like the high roller type life had that number in my head. And does anybody here believe that God has a great sense of humor? He does. He has a great sense of humor because he knew what I believed. He knew what I believed. And at 29 years old, I was put in a position where I was working at this place. And the guy that owned the company had a manager. 
and I was the second in line of a multi-million dollar business in southern Wisconsin, and they, the owner fired the manager, and they made me the intern manager until they could officially hire somebody with the right qualifications. But they never did hire somebody with the right qualifications. They just ended up making me the manager, and at 29 years old, I ended up making this six-figure number that I thought was going to make me happy. Well, sure, we bought a new car. We were looking at land to buy a house. We go on some nice vacations. But I'll tell you what, within the first year, I knew. I could tell you, I was on my 30th birthday. I know exactly where I was. I was in a resort in British Columbia, drunk out of my mind, so drunk, I couldn't remember if it was my birthday or not. I got out my license to check the date, to check the phone. Is it my birthday today or not? Okay, yeah, it is my birthday today, and I'm still 100% miserable. Absolutely inside miserable. And so I made a mind of my, you know, made in my mind, try to make the best of this miserable existence called life and just deal with all that inner stuff and just try, you know, put on your happy face, go to church, play church, pretend, do whatever you got to do, just get through, right? Nobody needs to know what's inside, just keep rolling through. Meanwhile, God is always in the background, always there, always saying, you know, I've got better, come on. I've got better for you than that, right? And that's where he is. He's always there calling us. And so uh, my wife's only child in 2005, her mom got sick. We moved back to the home. This is where we both are from, central Wisconsin area. So we bought 40 acres of woods, cleared off a spot, built a brand new house in the 40 acres of woods. I bought a service truck. I put $100,000 worth of tools on a service truck, and I did on-site mobile diesel repair. That's what I did. That way I didn't have to work. Before at that other job in southern Wisconsin, I had 17 employees. Uh, we had four kids in three years because we had identical twins in the middle, Caleb, the one that was singing right here, he's one of our identical twins. And so, uh, so we had the four kids with the twins in the middle, so four kids in three years, basically. And I'd get home from work at that job in southern Wisconsin, and I'd say, Lori would say, how was your day? And I'd say, horrible, I was changing, you know, whatever, having problems with my, my adult employees. And she said, well, I was changing diapers all day with the four kids. And I go, you know, I was changing diapers all day, too, with... with uh, but they're adults and I'm paying them 25 bucks an hour, you know? So again, we, we moved back. We start this business and God immediately started blessing it, like really blessing it. And so I just would drive around the state with this truck and just do on-site diesel repair. And it was in uh, 2006. It was 16 years ago, November 16th. 16 years ago, November 16th, the accident actually happened. I was an hour, we live in like Rudolph-ish is our, our address, and I was an hour south towards the lakes over there working on a Peterbilt logging truck. It was a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday job, three-day job, a Caterpillar diesel engine in this truck. So if you picture a big rectangular truck garage, implement garage that you'd work on big vehicles, and that semi-truck was backed all the way up, in the, this Peterbilt's backed all the way up. My service truck, I would show up in the morning, so I drive an hour from my home to the, to the job site and work, you know, the whole day and then drive back. So we do a Tuesday and we were called in. I was called in because this truck was leaking coolant. It had an antifreeze leak and it was right out of the engine. So the engine had to be disassembled and put back together. And, and so that's what I specialized in. That's all I did was engine, basically. Cat Cummins, Detroit, that's what I would come in. So a lot of times these uh, places would have their mechanics to change their tires and change their oil and do their general maintenance and stuff, but they didn't have the tooling or the special training, the factory training to do these, these uh, real technical engine jobs. And so that's what I was trained to do. I, did the, I was factory trained at Cat Cummins 
and Detroit, all three. So I had all the special tooling. That's why I cost all the, you know, $100,000 of tools for the special tooling. And so I had that all in my truck. So I would show up and do things that the guys that normally work there usually couldn't do type thing. So this logging company, they had a guy that did their, you know, their maintenance, but he couldn't do this engine repair. So that's why I'm called in. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, we work on it. In order to test the repair, on Thursday, we're going to start the truck up and make sure it's no longer leaking coolant. So the guy that I was working with, the mechanic at that place, his name's Leonard. I'd known Leonard since I was young. Uh, and so Leonard, I said to him, go ahead and start it up. Go ahead and get in the truck, start the engine. So he starts the engine. It's running. It's running maybe 15 or 20 minutes. We had to try and, it's in the garage. It's not underneath the load. So there's no, it's not making any power. So it's not making any heat. So we're having to like crank the idle up, block the radiator off. We're trying to make it warm, which is hard to do inside the garage, just, just idling. So we're trying to get the engine warm to test the repair. So that's why it's taking a long time. I'm putting my tools away. And Leonard comes up and taps me on the shoulder. He said, hey, before you go, he said, would you look at one more thing? And I remember when he said it, I didn't answer. I looked at the clock, and it was 6.10. I'll never forget. It was 6.10. I'd left my house that morning at 6 a.m. I drove an hour to get to the job site. I'm looking at the clock. I'm going, man, I'm already going to be at over a 13-hour day if I walk out the, the door right now. And the guy wants me to, to stay. And I was like, eh. And he could see the look on my face, so he said, hey, I don't want you to fix anything. He said, I just want you to look at something. Just diagnose. He goes, so... Caterpillar engines are yellow, big, bright yellow engine. This truck had a hood. It's a conventional. So it's got a hood that's open. you got this big, bright yellow engine. I'd fixed the coolant leak. We had fixed the coolant leak. But he said, he said, I've got a big, black, dirty spot on the front of the engine. And he said within, you know, I could wipe it off. With a couple weeks, that dirty spot comes back. He said, so I know it's seeping oil out of somewhere. And he said, we got to diagnose where it's seeping oil. He says, you can order the parts, come back at a different time. Or he said, or maybe something simple and you can tell me what to do. And so we just talked about it. And I said, okay, where is it? And he said, in the front of the engine towards the bottom. So picture this. There's a big bumper in the front of this big Peterbilt logging truck. The old school trucks had chrome bumpers. You know, big, deep chrome bumpers. The newer trucks usually have white or black plastic bumpers. But underneath, doesn't matter if it's a chrome or a plastic bumper, underneath that bumper, from the bottom of the bumper to the ground, you've got that little bit of space, right? depending on the truck, depending on the big, how big the bumper is, how much space between the bottom of the bumper and the black top or cement. So let's say you're going to get on your knees in front of one of these big trucks, in front of the bumper, and look underneath that space from the front to the back. What you would see is the lowest thing to the ground is the front axle. And the reason why is this. Here's the two front wheels that move when you turn your steering wheel. Out of the middle of those wheels, that axle attaches. It drops down on both sides, and it goes from the left to the right in a big steel I-beam. It's just a big steel I-beam that goes from one side of the truck to the other. And depending on the truck, it's like this deep front to back. Depending on the truck, it's like that tall. But it's a big steel I-beam carrying five to six tons of weight. Leonard had jacked up that I-beam on the passenger side of the truck. So on the passenger side of the truck, he put a round bottle jack, a 20-ton capacity bottle jack. It's underneath that side. It's jacked up. The passenger side wheel is removed. So when he asked me to go underneath the vehicle, there's a, a tool that mechanics use called a creeper. I'm, I know a lot of you guys... People know this, a creeper, right? You get on it, you go underneath. So the thing with working with tools, and everybody here that's worked with tools, is you're gonna, if you've worked with tools at all, you're going to know exactly what I'm saying. You're going to relate to this, especially if you've done it for a living. Cheap tools stink, right? They're really bad. Cheap tools, especially if you're trying to do it for a living, they're aggravating. I mean, there's just, they'll make you say lots of bad words. I mean, they're just not good, right? So cheap creeper is, is one of those kind of tools because it's got these Little small plastic, little bit of cheap creeper. We'll have these little small plastic wheels. 
and you try to slide on it, and every crack on the cement, it stops. You try to go left, it goes right. Every little pebble of sand, every grain of sand, it stops. I mean, it's just a hassle and make you mad. And so I looked down at this piece of junk, plastic creeper, and I thought, I don't want to get it on it. It's just going to make me mad. So I looked in the back of my truck, and here's my $300 nice snap-on creeper with an adjustable headrest, six great big monster wheels. And I'm thinking, it's strapped down. I'd have to get in my truck, unstrap it, and I just want to go home and eat. So thank God I didn't get my, it was a, a life-changing decision. I didn't get my steel snap-on creeper. I got on top of his plastic creeper that he just crawled off from the truck. I laid on that creeper. It's just plastic holocor with four little wheels on each end. I rolled underneath the front bumper, and where I happened to stop, I'm looking at the bottom of the engine. In fact, the, the rotating part of the engine, the, the, the vibration dampener and the belts and all that were right here above my head, just inches above my head. And where I stopped, it just happened to be that axle is right here across the middle of my belly, maybe an inch above me, held up by a jack. Now, I looked underneath there, and I saw that he had, I had never been under the truck. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I did everything from the top. He worked from the bottom. So I looked underneath there when he asked me to look for this leak, and I saw that there was a jack stand, but no blocking. No, I'm sorry. I saw there was a jack, but no jack stand or blocking. So in other words, no safety equipment. All the weight was on the jack. And I looked under there, and I saw it. I thought, you know what? I'm going home. It's been sitting on this jack for three days. It's been running for 15, 20 minutes. I'm good. So I slip underneath the truck. I stop. The axle's right here. I'm looking at the bottom of the engine. I'm, I was thinking about what I thought the problem was, and I yelled out to him, hey, Leonard, shut it off. I don't need the truck running anymore. So he gets up inside the truck to shut it off. When he got in the truck, uh, because he has a wooden leg, he pulled himself in and up, up on the truck, and so he grabbed the steering wheel, the wheel is still on the ground on the driver's side. The passenger side wheel is removed, and the axle is held up by the jack over here, and I'm underneath it. So when he grabbed the steering wheel, and this Peterbilt had air suspension. So when you get in a truck that's got air suspension, they always rock. It's just, it's just natural the way it is. It's going to rock. So he gets in the truck. It rocks like this because the air suspension, and I saw movement in the peripheral vision of my left eye, and I turned my head just in time to see the jack had slipped out from underneath the axle, like this is the jack. It had slipped out, and it's literally teetering like this. And before I could think, blink, or do anything, the jack shoots out, and this 10 to 12,000 pounds of weight crashed to the cement and crushed me like a blunt guillotine, basically, to the cement. The axle hit the cement. I could tell you this, 10 to 12,000 pounds of steel dropping approximately that far and hitting the cement sounded like a bomb went off when it hit the cement. So it hits the cement, and it was a crazy loud bomb noise but now throwing a little, this is weird, a loud bomb noise, but throwing a little liquid noise in there too. The liquid noise was me. And the blood shot out of my mouth when the truck fell on me from the inside out. Blood shot out from the inside of me. But I heard all the liquid. That weird, like when you crush an aluminum can, it's still got soda in it. That kind of weird noise of liquid moving around inside. That's exactly what I heard in myself as the blood shot out of me when the truck fell on me. I can't tell you how bad it hurt. Pain was off the charts, crazy, crazy pain. And the, I just said, Lord, help me. When I say Lord, I'm re, I was referring to Jesus. I want to just be really clear. When I say Lord, I was talking to Jesus. I, said it, I say this all the time. I said it a second time just in case he didn't hear me the first time. Lord, help me, right? I really mean it, God. I need help here. And then I looked down, and that's when I saw there was about an inch of space on this side of my body. The plastic holocore piece of junk creeper had collapsed to nothing. 
Because there's nothing there, just plastic hollow core. So it flattened out to nothing. There's no wheels there, there's nothing. If I would have been on my snap-on creeper, right there is an extra set of wheels, right there is an extra steel cross member that's one inch thick. If the truck would have fallen on me and I would have been on my creeper, I would have literally been sheared into two pieces because the, the cross member of my axle would have been a shear point. And the axle, the axle coming down on the cross member of my, of my uh, creeper would have been a shear point, and literally they would have taken me out in two pieces instead of just being one inch thick. Right here, and two inches thinner than my spine. Like I said, two inches thick here, one inch thick here, all the way across from the ribs to the pelvic. So I'm crushed down. I called, Lord, help me. The pain is out of the, out of the world. Leonard gets down. I'm saying, shut it off, shut it off, shut it off. Because the big vibrating, diesel engines vibrate for lots of reasons. But because it's vibrating, it's on me, and it's on the cement here, and it's got my, my vertebrae crushed, according to the radiology report, D-shaped. So this big vibrating diesel, you know, 10 to 12,000 pounds of weight on top of my body exaggerated the pain. It was like crazy pain. And I was just saying, shut it off, shut it off, shut it off. It was like electric bread knife sawing on me because it's vibrating on me. I was saying, shut it off, shut it off. So he finally he shuts it off. He gets down out of the truck. The chrome bumper is back here by my head. It's on the ground on this side, passenger side. The aluminum fuel tank is caved in the passenger side. But there's still that gap underneath the bumper back here. And I look back, and Leonard is looking at me, and I'm looking at him, and his eyes are great big. He had jacked up the truck. He had not used any safety equipment. He knew it was a shortcut, and he felt guilty. And, he, and then he saw just what I saw, axle up. Couldn't see lower down because that's, the axle had fallen through, right? So it was just from, from here, from, the bottom, from my ribs, bottom of my ribs up. That's all we could see, axle's through. I'm looking at him. He's looking at me. He goes into shock, and he froze. And, I, and he's not doing anything. And I start saying, Leonard, please call 911. And I kept saying, please call 911. It seemed like forever. I don't know how long it really was. It could have just been 10 seconds. I don't know. To me, it seemed like 10 hours before he finally moved from me saying, please call 911. He, and I could hear him. He's on the phone. He's saying, the truck fell on a guy. He's crushing half. You need to send people. So he goes and gets the jack. He couldn't put the jack back underneath the axle because the axle was on the ground. So he can't. He's trying to figure out how he's going to get the truck off my body. So there's a big curved leaf spring. Side view. I'll give you a side view of the truck. So here's a big curved leaf spring. Here's where the front wheel would be. Here's the axle coming like this. This leaf spring attaches to the axle right here. So as I'm laying under the truck, passenger side over here, Leonard goes and gets the jack that flipped out. And again, he can't put it on underneath the axle because the axle's on the ground. Cement. So he slipped it underneath that big curved leaf spring. He slipped the jack underneath like this because it's the only place he could get underneath, right? Now right here is that, the axle's on the ground and here's the jack. The axle is connected to the leaf spring, so if he can jack up the leaf spring, he can pull up the axle. So he slips underneath there. The problem is, do you wanna jack something up on an arc? No, because it's just gonna slip, so I'm telling him, don't. I'm, look, I'm laying right, he's right there, and I'm saying, no, don't jack it up there, it's gonna slip. And he's telling me, I don't have any other place. This is the only place I've got. And so he's jacking up, and I'm saying, no, don't. He's saying, it's the only place I've got. He wouldn't listen to me. So he's jacking. And I watched the jack slipping, 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 just like I said. And then finally it caught. And when the jack caught, it started to go up. So everything's, and I'm watching it go up, and I'm saying no. And he's saying, it's the only place i got. And he's pumping the handle. He gets it up off my body. When he got up my, off my body, I looked down, and this is what I saw. My work uniform, you know, so I had the name of my Bruce's Mobile Service, my company, whatever. My work uniform went to here. It went straight back, because now the truck was off me. It went straight back, followed along my spine, and came back up my pelvic. So from here to here was this ridiculous flat spot in the middle. The thickness of my spine, or a little bit less. And the only thing I could relate it to was cartoons, because I'd never seen anything in real life like that. 
There was nothing in real life to compare it to. And the only thing my brain could relate it to was cartoons. And so I'm looking at my body like that, and I said, this is just like Wiley Coyote run over by Acme truck, and he's got the flat spot. And I'm looking at it, and the next thought was, uh, you're not going to live. Nobody's going to live with a flat spot like that. So that was the next thought. I'm dying. I didn't know it at the time, but because the arteries were severed in five places, I'm uh, bleeding out internally as soon as he jacked the truck up off my body. So once he jacked the truck off my body, I'm bleeding out internally. And the, again, the weakness. I reach back. He wouldn't touch me. I'm begging him to get me off of the truck. He wouldn't touch me. I reach back. I grab the bumper. I drag myself out. I got out this far. Again, the, the axle or the creeper is broken in the middle. I drag myself out. I'm this far. I put my hands on to do one more push because if the jack is going to slip, it's going to fall on my legs. I didn't want my legs to get caught. So I put my hand on and I tried to do one more push and I couldn't do it. My body started shaking so uncontrollably. For whatever reason, I looked at this shoulder, this arm, and I was watching my arm just shaking like, like literally uncontrollably. And I couldn't do that last push. And I know my, and at that time I could have done a lot of pull-ups easily and I couldn't even do that last little push. And I was like, oh man, this is bad, bad, bad. And my body was shaking and it was right then I realized I couldn't breathe. Because my lungs had been collapsed. I was struggling for air, but it was the, the trauma, that, the, everything going on. I didn't know it. I didn't realize it until I'm out and I'm trying to do the last push. And I realized, uh, 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 no air, no air. And then the first two guys get there and they're trying to help me breathe. And I can tell you, my heart was racing because I'm in shock. Heart's just pounding away. And you know what I heard? I heard my heart do this and stop. I literally heard my heart stop. And when my heart beat its last beat, my spirit left my body. I went up on the roof of the garage. The Bible says we're made in the image of God. We've got a spirit. We've got a soul. Not the same thing, two different things. So my spirit leaves my body. I'm up in the roof of the garage. And I can't tell you how good it felt. It is the peace I've wanted my whole life. It's what I've been searching for my whole entire life. There it was. I'm up in the ceiling having a party all by myself. I'm so disconnected from the accident scene, I didn't even know that that was me underneath the truck. I'm just up here going, oh, oh, this is so great. This feels so good. And I'm up there soaking it up. I can see everything. I'm watching. I'm listening to the guy that had been working with you, Leonard. He's crying. He's running his fingers through my hair. He's apologizing. And he's saying, I should be the one that's dead, not you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Because I have a massive chest injury, they're not going to do CPR. All the first responders are all standing back. My heart has stopped. I'm not, they're not going to do CPR because of the chest injury, so they're just standing around. Several minutes goes by with no heartbeat, no pulse, me from above, and then this, so I'm watching, watching it. And like I said, I didn't know that was me. I'm listening to what Leonard, he's apologizing. And here's the crazy thing. On each side of Leonard, the, the guy that I was working with, he's on his knees, like I said, just above me, and just this much of me is sticking out from me, the front bumper, just this just, just much. So he's running, he's running his fingers through my hair, and he's crying. And on each side of Leonard was an angel, that I saw from, you know, where I was in the scene, like 16 feet, about like this, all the way to the top of the wood in here. And shoulder, an angel going that way, shoulder, an angel going this way. They were matching bookends. They were on their knees, just like he was. Leonard is like six foot one, six foot two. And he was on his knees, and these angels were on their knees, but their heads were approximately two feet, you know, guesstimation, two feet taller than him, so they would have had to been about eight feet tall. Big, broad shoulders, white, shining robe. They had a belt in the middle, they had long hair. They didn't have wings. Angels are mentioned 290 sometimes in the Bible. Sometimes they have wings. Sometimes they don't. These didn't have wings. Sometimes it just says they look like normal people. Sometimes they don't. They just look two really big dudes, really, really big dudes with long hair and white shining robes. And the one reaches over and he puts his hands in the middle of my body, which I didn't know was me, in the middle from the right side and one from the left side. And I'm looking from above and I go, look, 
those angels are down there to help that guy. Isn't that nice? And it was really low-key. It didn't seem exciting. It wasn't scary. It wasn't even, it was just, it seemed natural in the spirit realm, because it is. And he's like, oh, that, those angels are down there to help that guy. And then this lady shows up. She came in the back door. It was the only woman and uh, a gray-haired guy. They came up the driver's side. Now, the back, that's the back door. The front door of the shop is right here. I'd come in and out of there three days. A year later, when I got out of the hospital, I went and spoke at that volunteer fire department just to talk to them, to tell them thank you. And I was able to point out, you know, 30 people in that room, I was able to point out eight of the 10 people who had come to the scene of the accident. No heartbeat, no pulse, remember, under the truck, no heartbeat, no pulse. I, a year later, pointed out eight to 10 people. And then I said to the easy, because it was only red-haired, only woman, I said to the red-haired lady and the only gray-haired guy, you and you came in the back door. Everybody else came in the front. Why? Because I saw it from above. Dead body, I couldn't see that. I saw it from above because the real Bruce was up here. It was a simple reason. They had missed the first driveway, caught the second driveway. But that little detail was proof to them because they knew what door they came in. And I was able to tell them a year later, why did you come in the wrong door? Because it was confusing to me. So anyway, the real Bruce is up in the ceiling. I'm looking down. The angel is doing The lady comes in. She starts feeling for a pulse. There was a big guy in bibs on this side. He's got his arms crossed. He says, it's too late. He's been dead several minutes. She ignores him. She keeps feeling for a pulse. She says, what is his name? Leonard says, Bruce Fanetta, and the lady starts doing this. Bruce Fanetta, come back. Come back. I'm watching, listening from above. When she said Bruce Fanetta, it sounded somewhat familiar. Is the only way I can describe it. I, didn't, I wouldn't have said, oh, that's my name, it's me. Mm -mm. Just somewhat familiar. And all of a sudden, my spirit slowly, slowly, and then when I got about halfway really fast, it seemed like it came in through the top. And when my spirit came into my body, my heart miraculously started. No CPR, no medicine, no nothing. Just this lady praying. At the time, I didn't know she's praying. So she slapped me saying, come back. But she's saying, God, bring him back to life. So my spirit comes back in my body. I go from feeling the best I've ever felt in my entire life, literally, to the worst I've ever felt in my entire life. And the first thing was, oh, four-letter word that means fertilizer. This hurts really bad, and I don't want it. I don't want it, no. And when I said, no, I don't want it, my heart stopped just like that. My spirit left my body and went right back to the roof of the garage. Why? Free will. Free will. Because I said, I don't want it. Right back in the roof of the garage. This time, a tunnel opened up. I didn't see the tunnel the first time. But now I'm there the second time. The tunnel opened up, going at like a 45-degree angle, bright light at the end of the tunnel. I got in the tunnel going towards the bright light, and I can tell you, I was happy. I was excited to go meet Jesus, and that's all I could think of. I'm going to heaven. I'm going to meet Jesus. This is awesome. But I'm about halfway there. And I hear this, come back, come back. And I get sucked backwards out of the tunnel, I'm back in the roof, I'm looking down, I can see the tunnel, I can see the light, I can see the lady, I can see the angels, and my spirit comes back inside my body, my heart starts a second time. Again, horrendous pain. And I looked on my left and I looked on my right for the angels. Couldn't see them with these eyes. And it really scared me because I had just seen them and now they're gone. I'm like, well, why'd they leave? And besides, now I'm in this horrible pain, right? So I couldn't understand why I couldn't see the angels. It hurt so bad, and I was just like, ugh. And God spoke to me right in that moment. I didn't see him, but I know that I know that it was God. It was just the Holy Spirit. And he just simply said this. If you want to live, you're going to have to fight, and it's going to be a hard fight. That's all he said. No questions and answers, no theological debates, nothing. And I'm just, he was really calm and stable. Like when he said it, he was just so calm. Like, very matter-of-fact. 
And I was like, no, forget this. I don't want to live. I don't want to fight. My heart stopped. My spirit left my body. I went up on the roof. I'm in, out now the third time. The tunnel is open. I'm in the tunnel. I'm going towards the light. Happy to go meet Jesus. But Miss Persistent, baby Christian, well, wasn't going to have it. Not on her watch. So she's praying. And I get sucked backwards. And now I get back inside my body the last time. And I come back into horrible pain from feeling what I've always wanted into this body of death. And it's like, oh, it hurts so bad. Her face was right here. I'm still on the creeper. And she looks at me and she says, mister, you're on the verge of life and death. I'm thinking, lady, you have no idea. And then she says, what do you have to fight for? Do you have a wife? Do you have kids? I completely forgot that I was married and had kids because the pain and everything was so crazy. It never even crossed my mind. When she said, do you have a wife? Do you have kids? It was like a, a spiritual slap in the face. I was like, oh my gosh, my family needs me. I was... No way was I going to stay in this world for me because that's what I've always wanted anyway. But when she brought up wife and kids, I could stay for them. So she said, keep your eyes open. So I kept my eyes open. They ended up, uh, well, they called MedFlight from Madison because they knew there was no local hospital that could help me. But then they didn't call an ambulance. So when MedFlight came, there was no way to get me, the body, out to the ambulance so that helicopter went back and then they called an ambulance which took me to Adam's friendship and then the helicopter came back from Madison and picked me up in Adam's friendship and took me back so over two hours transpires because of that little mistake with five arteries being completely severed and I show up at the hospital with over two hours later five arteries completely severed and I'm not dead it was 100% a miracle they say if you have one major artery severed you're going to bleed out in eight to ten minutes if you don't put a tourniquet on it you're going to bleed out eight to ten minutes I had five it was over two hours. It was just God. The angels were holding me together, doing what they were doing. So God did his thing. They ended up removing, like uh, I, I shared this morning to the small group, adults have 18 to 20-some feet of small intestine. They removed uh, almost all of my small intestine so that instead of 18 to 20-some feet, I had about two feet, a little over two and a half feet. And then, and then in my, March of 07, a piece died, so I had about this much. This is not enough to live on. I'm dying in the hospital. I lose 65 pounds. If you saw me 65 pounds less than I am, I look like I'm somebody out of concentration camp. I'm literally dying in the hospital. God wakes up a guy across the United States and says, buy a plane ticket, pray for this guy, and I'll do a miracle. He blew off God the first day. He told his wife and he told his pastor, but he didn't do it. The second day, God did, woke him up at 5 a.m. and said, buy a plane ticket, fly to Wisconsin, pray for him, I'm going to do a miracle. He did it. He came, he prayed. When he prayed for me, it felt like, anybody here ever touched an electric fence? I'm straight up telling you, it felt like he was, it felt like I touched an electric fence to my forehead. It actually stung. It actually stung. It was a snap and it stung and I felt the power of God come out of his hand, into my body, right into my stomach and I felt my intestines coming back and I have half of my intestines. I have 9 to 11 feet, doctors say, because they haven't cut it back open to, it's in a ball, you can't say exactly because you'd have to stretch it out to know exactly so they can just guesstimate. So they say I have half, 9 to 11 feet of intestines. That's the reason why I am alive and not dead. So just to recap and bring this full circle because I see I'm out of time, here's what it is. I told you straight up. I know that I know who I am. I know that I do not deserve anything from God. And yet, when I said, God, help me, he sent two angels, Right? Then God sent a woman who'd only been believing in Jesus for two months to pray me back to life three times, even though I didn't want to come back. And then he sent a guy to pray for me in the hospital so that I could have intestines enough to eat and live. 
And so here we are 16 years later, and I'm just going to say this, you know, waiting on a promise. I was in the hospital for, I've been in the hospital over a year in my life. I hate hospitals. I hate the way hospitals smell. I hate everything about a hospital. Uh, I was waiting that year. And then I did two years of rehab. And, and we lost, literally, I didn't have workman's comp. We lost everything except my house. Um, we were waiting for this and waiting for that, and God was faithful and did these things. And, and here we are 16 years later, and people are like, like I started at the beginning, like, oh, man, God, this great miracle for you. That's so awesome. You probably have, like, the most faith in the world. And I was like, you know, I, I'm have to be, I would have lied. Honestly, I would have lied because I didn't want to mess with anybody else's faith. But I have to be honest and tell you, I'm just going to be honest and tell everybody right now, because of the childhood junk that I dealt with, there's a part of me that struggles trusting God to this day. God brought me back to life three times. God sent somebody where in a, in a, a miracle happens for my intestines, and yet, I'll be honest, tell you, I still struggle. Part of me struggles trusting God, and there's part of me that's mad at God about things that happened and things that didn't happen. So if you're here today, and if you struggle with things that have happened or didn't happen for you, and it doesn't make sense to you, well, you know what? It doesn't make sense to me either. The Bible says God is author of all good things. The devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and, and the way that all works out is between, is between us and God, I guess. Bottom line is this. I know this. He's real. He is real, or I wouldn't be here. He is a God of mercy. Mercy means not getting the punishment we deserve. If he wasn't a God of mercy, I would not be here this morning today. Every day I need God's mercy. Every single day of my life. And so can we just have every head bowed, every eye closed, please? As you're here today with whatever baggage you brought in with you, know this, God loves you. He has always loved you despite the bad things, despite the bad things you've gone through, despite the bad things that we've done, continue to do. God knows all those things, and he loves us so much that he sent Jesus to die on the cross so that if we would receive what he did for us, receive his forgiveness of sins, that he'd wash our sins away and close us with his righteousness. So if you're here today, if you've not made a decision to receive Jesus, your Lord and Savior, if you've already done it, you don't have to do it again. But if you've never asked Jesus in your heart to be your Lord and Savior, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. So if that's you, and if you know, look, this is what I can tell you. I believe this with every molecule of my body. In 120 years, every person in this room is going to be dead. From the oldest to the youngest, when you die, your spirit is going to leave your body just like mine did. Just like mine did. Your spirit is going to leave your body. And the Bible says it's either going to go to heaven or it's going to go to hell based on one thing. Not how much you put in the plate today. The one thing is, do you have Jesus as your Savior? Have you asked him in your life to wash away your sins? And if you've not done that, he loves you so much. He wants that for you. So again, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you've not asked Jesus in your heart as Lord and Savior before, I'm going to count to three. If that's what you want, raise your hand up to him. Keep it up for 10 seconds. Not for me. That's why it's every head bowed, every eye closed. It's for Jesus. He knows. He knows your heart. And you know what? And if you've fallen away and you've gone away from God, raise your heart, hand up. There's a God, I want to come back. And he runs to meet us. So if that's you and you want God, you know you're not right with him, raise your hand on the cone of three. And then we're all, every one of us, whoever's comfortable, everybody who doesn't raise their hand, if you're already a Christian, awesome. Everybody, repeat this prayer with us. 
So if you want that on the count of three, just raise your hand. If you've already made this choice, you don't have to do it again. If you're backslidden or something, you know you just you need to get back to God, go ahead, raise your hand. Do whatever you feel right in your heart, but the thing is reach out to God. It's all of our heart. He looks at our heart, the intention of our heart. Reach out to God. So if that's what you want, on the count of three, raise your hand. One, two, three. We just thank you, Lord, for your mercy and your grace. Thank you that you love us. God, thank you that we can come with expectation that we could come with expectation. King of kings and Lord of lords. So Lord, you see the hands, you know the people, you see the hearts even more than the hands. So Lord, we come to you right now and we pray that you would move in only the way that you can do. And so again, whether you had your hand up or you're already a Christian, just, just repeat this prayer from your heart. Lord Jesus, I've sinned against you and other people. This day I repent of my sin. I ask for and receive your forgiveness. I pray that we would have intimacy, relationship from this day forward. Holy Spirit, melt me and mold me. Shape me. Turn me to the person of God you want me to be. And all God's children said, amen, amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you so much for tuning into the Refuge Official Podcast today. We hope that this message spoke to you in a very meaningful way and that you were able to connect with the Lord. And hey, if you made a decision to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior today, we are first and foremost just so happy for you and we would love to get connected with you. So if you want to find some more of our content and find out how to get connected with us, feel free to check out our website at wearerefuge.net. Be blessed and have an amazing rest of your day.